Coming up on Chasing the Natty, week 11 is suiting up as we speak and we'll be on the edge of our seats for the entire weekend as we await the results of some of the most critical fantasy matchups you have faced all year. As always, to help you get ready, we'll be touching on some of those big time matchups and what we're looking for in them, followed by, of course, another round of your fan-submitted start and sit scenarios for this weekend, which of course are more important than ever before. All that and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the all-time drop down for Franklin! A majestic touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Wednesday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday and Wednesday morning during the season at 6 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work we're doing here, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our extraordinary tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, and C2C and betting needs, as well as IDP, as well as so many things. I can't even list them all. I forget half the time when I list everything. We got articles, we got rankings, we got projections, tools, and even more than that. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. And the handsome fella across from me, finally reunited together, is Mr. Justin Leo. He is at Volume Pigs on Twitter. You can also find his incredible work at VolumePigs.com. Justin, it's been a while, dude. We literally could not get on a show together during the month of October. It was absolutely crazy, but... We're back together. It is it's, it's time to have some fun, man. Um, how, how are your leagues treating you? Uh, you make the playoffs in them? All that good jazz? Uh, yeah, so far, so good. I mean, in a few leagues, uh, this is the last week of the season uh, before the playoffs. Uh, I think in the in the 2014 where we're in, Jared, uh, I, I am in the playoffs. I think you got knocked out, though, last week. Not not to put you on last year. No, no, it's all good. I, that, 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 was a, that was a league where I kind of screwed up from the very beginning. I'm, I was lucky to make the playoffs, quite frankly, given how old my team was. And I was I kind of went in all in this year just to see what happens because that was the only strategy I had left. See if I got yeah. a little lucky. Didn't happen all- for me. It is a dynasty league, too, so it's like, you know, each year isn't the be-all, end-all. But, uh, no, to answer your question, yeah, my, my leagues are pretty good. It's a make-or-break week for me in one of my leagues, uh, as I imagine it is for a lot of you. And I, I have the Western Michigan game up right now. I'm starting Jalen Buckley. He just scored, so that's good. Let's go! Thank God, because I was a little worried about him. Really, eh? Yeah, no, he, he's he's doing fine. I'm more worried about Cooper, but I, I won't go on and on too much about this. Uh, yeah, it feels good to be back reunited. Uh, it was it was great, you know, doing this show with Justice a few weeks ago. But we we've got the A team back now. The starters are back in after a long month of a lot of bye weeks. So I'm I'm feeling good. Super excited about the show today. Uh, super excited about this week as usual. We got more college football coming up, so can never complain about that. 
Yeah, and real quick, if I have not already, huge shout out to the guys who helped us out during the month of October between Nate Marquise, uh, Justice, taking on hosting duties for two weeks there. That was a huge help by him right there. Then Austin coming on last week. He did an awesome job. I, d- I haven't gone back and scored those weeks to see how well those guys did in terms of the sit and starts and everything like that. But, you know, maybe it, maybe... If, 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 if they did badly, I don't want the audience to know. And if they did really good, I don't want to know. That kind of deal. So <laughs> we got plenty to get to here, guys. We got five ranked v. ranked matchups. We only discussed four of them because I think only four of them really have any kind of fantasy um, potential there. And then um, we got really this real, this first big news here right off the bat. Don't have a graphic for it. I probably should have made one. But Eric McAllister, this, was, this caught us all off by surprise. Again, we all know season ends people start entering the portal and people start looking towards next season everything especially when you have teams who are you know there's not really much left to play for but boise state like they're not doing great this year but they still got they got a bowl game to play for they're not out of this or anything like that but McAllister, out of the blue made it known he is entering the portal and not only is he entering the portal he's off the roster like, if you go to Boise State's website right now, he is not listed as a wide receiver there. So he's just done for the year. Completely shut it down. That sucks for anybody who had him in fantasy. Like, he had, I believe, 19 targets last week. And some people joke that, like, oh, man, there's that 20th target he couldn't get that really sold him on leaving and everything like that. But, like, if you had him in fantasy and I had him in a spot or two there, like, it, like you just lost a huge weapon. And, like, really... More than anything, I am praying, I am truly praying that this is not going to become a commonplace for college football. Like, I understand that we have transfer portal windows now and everything like that. But for a guy to not only just announce he's entering the portal, but to just completely shut it down this early, that is certainly worrying. Justin, what were your thoughts kind of on McAllister making this decision this early on? And do you think it'll become a bigger problem in the future for college fantasy? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on this one. I mean, it's super, super downer in CFF, right? If, if especially if this becomes commonplace, uh, as we were talking pre-show, there's no amount of preparation or skill or research as a as a CFF manager that will prevent you from falling victim to something like this. So I, I actually don't think that sort of players opting out mid-season is going to be that commonplace. You know, uh, we had similar concerns with Caleb Williams a few weeks ago. I guess the concerns are, are still ongoing. Uh, that he could opt out at any moment. But, you know, I, I think in general, players have a little bit more pride and connection to their teammates mm-hmm. than just sort of quit on that. You know, I don't like to use that word quit whenever people are transferring because it's, you know, you sound like an old man or whatever from the NCAA complaining. But in this case, it feels that way, right? It no, feels I was going to say, like, to to shut it down with three games remaining in the season, I think it's fair to call that person. Like, they, they quit on their team. That is a full-on they quit on their team. It, like, if they're not injured, if they still have things to play for and everything, that is fully just quitting on your team at that point. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't want to be too harsh about him, obviously. You know, he probably has his own circumstance or whatever. But I, I think it's, yeah, it's a horrendous look for CFF, obviously, because, you know, I mean, this is just not something you can prepare for. It's also just terrible timing. Like if he's one of your marquee wide receivers going into playoff weeks now, obviously that throws you for a loop. Uh, But I don't think this is going to become a super commonplace thing. I I think it'll be more common that players opt out before the season, like we saw with Chase, like Mm -hmm. if their NFL draft stock secured, Uh, obviously transferring after the season is already commonplace, but 
you know, transferring midseason or declaring that you're transferring midseason, I don't see that because it's just it's uh, it's a really bad look, you know, for the player. You're letting basically your fans down, the teammates yep. down. Probably you have lots of friends on the team. You know, I can't really imagine it myself. Like just, you know, you have a connection with the other players on the team, the coach. Like, how do you even go through and do that? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, good luck to him. And uh, I'm excited to see where he'll land. He'll have a lot of suitors. Uh, he's been yeah. having good. So. This actually kind of brings up an interesting point. So again, we're talking obviously redraft, redraft, this completely sucks. But if you're in Dynasty, right, you know, you still get another year of McAllister. You grabbed him off the waiver wire. You were kind of hoping he would be the main guy at Boise for quite a while. But as we've kind of seen over the last couple of years, the transfer portal really just becomes a roll of the dice. And I personally find that more often than not, Entering the transfer portal for most of these guys that are in really good positions already, like McAllister is, is just an automatic stock down. He could go to a really good situation. Like maybe he goes to Alabama and he becomes a deep threat at Alabama or something like that, which typically has been pretty good in the past. I still, it's still a stock down because there's so much question. There's a lot of questions that remain there. There's a lot of things we just haven't seen there. So if you own him in Dynasty, I think you're definitely not feeling super great. And given the rumors about him potentially going back to SMU, which is near his old hometown there, and the amount that they've spread the ball around over there this year and how well that's worked out for them, that could be a huge, huge bummer right there. It, there's a, it's, it's just a lot to process. And quite frankly, it's almost a little too early to start thinking about these things. That's off-season stuff we typically think about. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there um, in terms of the transfer being sort of it's hard to say if transfers in general are like positive or negative, they sort of level out, you know, and, and as you said, sort of more often than not, especially if these G5 guys, that's always the concern. Like I, oh, yeah. I hate whenever these G5 guys, I mean, I understand why they do it from an actual football perspective, but from a CFF perspective, it is sort of the immediate sort of killer of their stock. You know, we're going to talk about some of these other guys, like one of his, you know, his teammate, Ashton Genty. Yeah. Right. He's one we're all really excited about, but if he were to transfer to a P5 program, even if it's a good, like a good situation, he goes to Minnesota or something or, and then, you know, or some, some other program where there's, there's an opening and not another player. And it has been a good system for running backs. Even then, you know, at the P5 level, you still have the concern then it's like, well, how well is he going to adjust to that level? He's going to be at, as dominant at that level. Right. And, and at the very least, probably say pretty definitively, they won't be as good at the P5 level as he was at the mountain West conference level. Right. I mean, that that's kind of pretty simple common sense logic. And so, yeah, I mean, the transfer portal, it giveth and it taketh away. Uh, some, some opportunities are created, but seems like, as you said, more often than not, it's sort of a killer of stock, you know, Carson yeah. Steele comes to mind. There's definitely others that you can think of. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm excited to see where he lands. Landing spot will be sort of key in this value, but immediately if he's in the P5, you're saying, well, that's not as good as what he had before. If I don't make it a topic of a show during the offseason, I think I will probably write an article at some point kind of determining did the transfer portal help more than it hurt this year in college fantasy? Because I noticed, I mentioned this during the offseason several times, that in 2022, we were all in on a lot of these transfer guys. Like we were thinking they were like, this is really good landing spots for them. We were drafting them super high. And then this year, really outside of, I would say, Devontae Walker and Jamari Thrash, people were pretty off of a lot of those guys because they realized just how much that could really hurt a good chunk of those guys. So we'll see if that actually ended up being true or not. I can 
think of a couple that have worked out pretty well, especially at quarterback. Quarterback typically does okay, but running back and wide receiver, I'm definitely interested in looking at there. Anyway, enough of that talk. We're already 10 minutes in here, Justin, so we should probably go start talking about some Week 11 stuff here. And we'll go ahead and start with the games on the weekend. And we got to start with our... One, get your face in the middle here. Oops. Get your face fixed. There we go. Anyway, um, start here with the big noon kickoff, as we typically do, because it's one of the first games we have to talk about throughout the week. And that is number three, Michigan, at number 11, Penn State. That might have changed since then, because, again, these are these are old playoff rankings here when I took these screenshots. So Penn State might have moved up a smidge this past weekend here. Michigan, minus 4.5, over under 44.5. This is so bleh. Like that line and that over under is so bleh for college fantasy football. But there's a couple guys in here that people have been relying on throughout different weeks. I mean, Blake Corum has been just a touchdown machine. He's been averaging, I think, like just over three yards per carry. So he has not been as explosive as he was last year. But Dad Gummit, Jim Harbaugh is going to get him a touchdown in every single game. And then you got, obviously, the two backs there at Penn State between Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. So, Justin, if you have those guys on your roster, how are you kind of navigating the situation? Is this a game where you're sitting there being like, man, there's going to be like maybe four total or like four or five total touchdowns scored in this game. And I better hope that my guy just happens to be one of them. Um. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I think Penn State is fairly overrated. That's maybe my hot take of the show this week. I think Michigan is going to win this game in a fairly, I don't want to say convincing fashion, but I, I think Michigan is going to be able to score maybe more points than people expect. Uh, I love Blake Corum in this game. The, the thing that's really been holding him back, if you can even say that this year, is the fact that they've been in blowouts every single game. So he hasn't really been toting the rock as much as he did last year in terms of just his carries per game because they haven't really needed him to. Uh, but he still scores touchdowns at a crazy pace. He's got 16 touchdowns in nine games. So he's as close to a lock as you can get really in terms of you know who's going to score each week. I mean, he's basically a walking touchdown, at least one. Uh, but I would expect probably two from him in this game because if they're going to score, it typically it goes through Corum. I mean, he always scores every game. Uh, obviously, J.J. McCarthy, you know, he can spin it and he runs it as well. But I like Corum in this game to see sort of a season high in terms of his carries. They haven't really needed him, like I said. I'd expect sort of 20-plus, maybe even 25-plus carries in this game, especially, you know, as they lean on him in the second half, assuming they have a lead. Uh, on the Penn State side, you know, I mean, my opinion of their backfield is basically the same as it was preseason. You know, if you have to choose, if you're in a league where you're choosing starters, I don't know how you you know, pick either of those players with confidence. You, you never really know what you're going to get. Obviously, Singleton's really explosive. He can break off a big run whenever, but, you know, you don't really know. Is he going to get the touches that week? Is K-Tron going to get the touches? So uh, I'd avoid, you know, the Penn State running backs. Uh, and then after that, I mean, yeah, Drew Aller, he's okay. Uh, he's not really a player that, you know, there's probably other options that are available for, for people this week if you need a QB. Uh, I know his stats on the surface are pretty good. He's kind of a check down Charlie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Most of his are kind of short. And he's, it's not a very explosive passing offense. Uh, and so their wide receivers are not that valuable either. I mean, KLS, Keandre Lambert-Smith has had some good games. Uh, but, you know, he's not really one where I say, well, he's, he's a must start. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, in this game, really, the, the player I like the most is just Blake Corum. 
uh, after that, I mean, there's other good options, but in terms of like a player that stands out, I mean, you know, it's a boring answer. Everybody knows Corum already, but I mean, he's the guy, right? He scores every game. So I am a little concerned about Corum. And by the way, I had to, I had to make a correction. It was not uh Corum that's averaging just over three yards per carry. It's actually Donovan Edwards. Um, but yeah, Corum's averaging just over five yards per carry on the year. Which also, by the way, he has 16 touchdowns on less than 700 yards, which is just absolutely insane. But but regardless, Penn State's rushing defense has been absolutely elite this year. They have not allowed a single team to average over three yards per carry the entire year. And you can ask almost any Michigan fan out there that this running game from Michigan is not what they've had in the past. And I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State slows down Michigan quite a bit in the run game, and it does kind of become on J.J. McCarthy to actually beat them there. Now, Penn State is vulnerable in the secondary. Don't like I'm not going to sit here and say that J.J. McCarthy can't do it or anything like that. This is the proving game for him. It just makes me a little bit more concerned about Corum. Like, but it's also the it's kind of the same thing with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and the NFL and everything. It's like you, when they get to the one yard line, you know who's getting the ball every single time, and you know who's going to get it. So if you want to rely on that, I say go right ahead. I mean, I'm starting Corum in a league or two where I have him, but at the same time, like he's not the guy that I'm looking at and being like, "Alrighty, you're going to be the guy to carry me this week." Yeah, that's fair. I mean, when looking at sort of rushing stats though for teams, it's also highly dependent on. You know, the teams they've played, I'm uh, not that high on Penn State's schedule. Is, obviously, they've played Ohio State already. And you're right, like, they're the primary bell cow for Ohio State in that game. Mayan Williams, I was just looking it up now. He averaged, like, 2.6 yards per carry. But he still had, like, over 60 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and Mayan Williams is not as good as Blake Corum. Uh, so, I mean, if Mayan Williams can have a decent day, I feel like Corum can too. And even if it's the case where it's, like, you know, he has 20 carries for 50 yards but two touchdowns, shoot i'll take that right yeah as fair long enough. As he's and anytime they get in, in inside the 20 yeah i mean they're, they're looking for quorum right so no fair enough all right let's go to a much higher scoring game way more fun to talk about here tennessee missouri over under a 58 and a half tennessee favored by one point here again ranked v ranked matchup here in columbia missouri here justin throwing it over you first man what are you looking at in this game what kind of stands out here yeah, I mean, this, this should be a fun game. I mean, uh, you know, I watched that Georgia-Missouri game last weekend, of course. As I imagine, a lot of people were. That was a great game. Uh, Missouri got the G right there on the cup for, for those who are watching. Uh, yeah, Missouri, you know, lived up to the hype for me. I mean, I, I thought going in, they were probably a really good team. And they looked the part against Georgia. What surprised me, and I guess what surprised probably Kirby Smart and, and the staff, is they ran the ball really effectively with that, like, stretch zone run play that they kept uh utilizing with cody schrader there coming out of the bye i mean the only uh, thing the announcers could talk about for like an entire quarter yeah it was hard to miss because they, they, they didn't really remember it but i mean look i mean missouri was was using it and i don't think they ever really like didn't pick up at least three or four yards on those plays i mean it, it continually kept working uh but you know that was also element of surprise they hadn't really done that much this year and they kind of caught george off guard Tennessee obviously is going to be a little more prepared for that. Although I would still expect Schrader to have pretty good game. He's come on pretty strong lately. Uh, Cody Schrader, I'm talking about the starting running back from Missouri at the beginning of the year. It was My kind boy. Of, yeah, he's doing well now. 
um, you know, his running back coach who sort of declared that he will be a 1,000 yard runner this season. It was looking a little bit dubious earlier in the season, but he now sits at like 900 and something yards. Seems very likely he will surpass that mark. I'd like him to see, you know, 20 or so opportunities again this week. Uh, I think this is actually a pretty good matchup if you're starting Schrader. Yep. On Tennessee's side, I would say, you know, it's Squirrel White has kind of, you know, resurrected himself uh, this season lately. They're starting to use him more. Uh, they have sort of a couple of running backs there who kind of do a lot of damage. So they're kind of like Penn State where it's like it's hard to start either one of those guys with any kind of confidence. Uh, and then besides that on Tennessee's side, I don't really see any of the wide receivers that really demand a start. Uh, you're sort of, you know, choosing fire with Joe Milton. It, it could go really well. It could also not. And we've seen that happen. So, uh, oh, and of course, I guess Brady Cook from Missouri. Yeah. Uh, you know, tough defense last week, uh, but he's been good all season. And that, against Tennessee, I think he'll probably have a pretty good game. So. Again, clearly Vegas thinks both these teams will score. Again, hovering right around 28, 30 points for both of them there. Like The, t- the touchdowns are going to be found by people, and I think you kind of mentioned most of the major names. The real key thing to look out for here is Luther Burden. He is listed as questionable right now. He played after getting hurt last week against Georgia, so I guess it's a good sign, but if you watch that game... Very much, very clearly more limited than he was before that injury. He was almost acting like a decoy out there than anything else. It was uh, Mookie Cooper and Theo Weiss who had to step up there. I wouldn't really start either one of those guys against Tennessee because for everything here, like Vegas is clearly respecting Missouri's offense and Tennessee's offense, but like Tennessee's got a pretty pretty stingy defense at times. So I wouldn't really want to trust anybody not named Luther Burden on that Missouri passing attack there. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Good call. Okay. On, on, uh, yeah. Good call on Burden. I was just going to say UGA tends to have a knack for knocking out the opposing team's wide receiver one. This was not our fault this time. Okay. <laughs> it's basically like the same, like with Alabama and opposing teams' quarterbacks. Like they just tend to knock other teams' quarterbacks out. And, and tend, you know, for some reason, we do the same with wide receivers. I was just going to add that in. Dude, like, it, w- was it TCU last year that, like, w- when they were going on undefeated run, it was like every week they were like, they either face the backup quarterback or knocked out the starting quarterback. It was just something absolutely insane like that. Super crazy. All right. Another SEC matchup. Top 10 matchup this time. Ole Miss going into Athens. Another over under a 58 and a half. Georgia favored by about 10 and a half here. So Vegas is probably looking at about a score of, you know, Georgia like 34 Ole Miss 30, 24-ish, like right around that range. So clearly, points are going to be found in both by both of these teams here. And given what we saw last week with Georgia, a lot of people will point to what Cody Schrader was able to do and say, like, all right, well, Quinshawn Judkins is going up against Georgia this week. He's probably a start there. And to, on one hand, I agree. And on another hand, I disagree. There are two points here. One, Quinchon Judkins will be the best running back that Georgia has faced all year. Better than Cody Schrader, better than Raymond Davis. Quinchon Judkins is just a more talented guy, and I think he will be able to take advantage of that. Here's the other thing. You kind of mentioned that Georgia was susceptible to that stretch run last week versus Missouri. That's not what Ole Miss does. Ole Miss loves to run it up the middle, run up the middle, take it out, take it over the top, take it over the top. Now, maybe they learned something from Mizzou and they try to replicate this upcoming week, but you have to imagine that Georgia's going to try to work on that stretch play this week on defense this week. So even still, 
if you're going to go with Quinshawn, you got to go based on not the defensive matchup. You just got to trust in the talent. And talented guys have been doing well against Georgia. I mean, shoot, before he got hurt, Luther Burden was taking the top off the Georgia defense to start that game last week. We saw Raymond Davis still find the end zone against Georgia in the, in the blowout from Kentucky and everything like that. So I still say that Quinshawn is a very much a startable option in this game. In terms of the receivers, I do not think that... I, I mean, Trey Harris Trey Harris looks really good, obviously. But even still, like, I still probably wouldn't trust any of them in this game. Like, not like you have in the past week. Like, if you're starting Trey Harris, typically you're sick, sitting there thinking, like, all right, like, 18 to 25 points, I'm happy. If you're starting Trey Harris this week, I would lower those expectations to, like, 15 to 20 points. And you're, again, maybe you're still happy with that. But, like, you're knowing that there's a possibility he could end with lower than that. Um, any other points? I kind of really talked to Ole Miss there. And Jackson Dart, again, we've seen Georgia susceptible to the run on the quarterback, so I think he'll still be able to find some work with his legs there. It's just a matter of do you trust him to find the end zone with his legs or with his arm? I don't really know. I feel like there's better options out there for you. Justin, what about the Georgia side here? What are you looking at there? Anything? Anything at all? Or are we continuing this whole uh, thing where Georgia players aren't startable? Well, look, generally that is the case. This year it's been a little different. I, I like the point that you touched on. I guess it was kind of touching on what I was talking about earlier to re-Quinchon Judkins this week. So that is an important point, right? Like Mizzou kind of caught Georgia off guard with this sort of new uh, outside zone run that they hadn't really done that much prior and then they sort of just unleashed it. After coming off a of bye week, right? They had that mm-hmm. sort of uh, in their pocket to use. Ole Miss is not going to be able to sort of do that. Uh, they had a really you know, down in the wire game last week, they're not coming off a bye. So they're not really going to be able to like catch you, you know, Georgia uh, in surprise mode as much. I would still expect, you know, they'll be able to break off, you know, maybe a, a run or two here because I mean, Judkins is a good player and they're a good running team. Uh, so I, I just, all that to say, I agree with Jared. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not a sit. He's not a slam dunk start either. I mean, if you have him, you know, you probably play him this week, but you have to know, like, you know, the risk is quite high, even though Georgia's defense, maybe not as good as it has been in years past, especially that front seven, I'd say the secondary is still pretty good, but front seven is not what it was uh, from the past couple of years on the Georgia side, uh, expecting Bowers to walk out on, on Saturday. No, just kidding. Uh, but the, the signs are positive. That so I got word two weeks ago that the goal, it, the goal was for him to play in this game. And the, apparently the goal still is, I don't, I'm not betting on it. I'm not grabbing, I'm not taking Bowers off my IRs and throwing him into lineups this week. But I'm just saying, I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually out there this weekend. That would be, uh, that would be crazy, uh, you know, in a good way and in a bad way. I, I hope that they don't need Bowers this weekend. I hope that they sort of take it cautious with him because ultimately, you know, it looks like there's a collision course happening with Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, I'd rather him just be fully ready to go healthy for that and not really risk him. But it, it would be sick if he's back for Ole Miss also. Uh, other players, Dejon Edwards, the running back, you know, typically, you know, under Kirby Smart, at least like post DeAndre Swift, I guess you could say, there hasn't really been, you know, bell cow running back for the team. And I think that's how he wants to run this team. I mean, they, they rotate every position basically, except for quarterback, even the offensive line rotates. So they always want to rotate these players, but this year they've had so many injuries. There's really nobody left. It's like, you have Kendall Milton as a backup. He's always in and out. Really. He's just a matter of time until he breaks down. In my opinion, like if at some point I'm expecting him to get injured again, like, yeah, I mean, it's a pessimistic take. I know, 
Uh, but then after that, it's like Dylan Bell is the RB3, and he's actually a wide receiver. Uh, you have Cash Jones, who's like, uh, I don't even think he's on scholarship. I think he's a walk-on player. So out of necessity, they've been giving Dejon Edwards a lot of a lot more touches, and he's been doing really well. Uh, didn't have a great game last week, but still had a solid game. And so in this game, you know, if you're starting, if you have, if you have them and you're wondering, you know, whether to start them, uh, I wouldn't, you know, not, I wouldn't be upset about starting them this week. Uh, but you have to kind of always keep that in mind that like, ideally, I think they want to rotate a lot of players in there and not really give one running back a lot of touches. Uh, and then wide receivers, you know, it's a pass for me. That's too, um, it's too unpredictable. You know, Lad McConkey might randomly have a really big game. Love it might also, but just hard to predict that in advance. Uh, but Carson Beck is actually pretty good. I, I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him in this game to have a really good game. Uh, if you want to play with fire this week or you just want to get creative starting Carson Beck, I mean, you could do worse. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our last game we'll talk about here. USC, Oregon. This is pretty much part two of the epic USC shootouts with the top of the Pac-12 here. Last week against Washington pretty much lived up to every expectation we could possibly have for that game in terms of the points now dylan johnson as the as you can see right there along the bottom there number one rb in fantasy last week with 51.7 points dude just absolutely ran wild this past weekend which probably means that bucky irving given his explosive ability is probably going to run wild in this game as well but i think probably the thing that most people are kind of concerned about with this game is Caleb Williams? No, I'm not talking about will he play? Will he not, guys? He's gonna play at least. He, he's gonna play at least until the end of the regular season. I guarantee you that. He seems very committed to the guys on his team for the most part. It's just you know, Oregon does have a pretty solid defense, but as we've seen, they can be scored upon. I mean, Washington put up 36 points on them. You saw um, Washington State put up 30 plus on them you saw texas tech put 30 plus on them they are susceptible to potential shootouts which again is reflected in the vegas line here i mean oregon's a 16 and a half point favorite but the over under is 73 so they clearly think that they clearly think that usc is going to find 25 to 30 points in this game somehow they're going to get scored on so i personally think that caleb williams is still startable in this game just instead of plugging him in and thinking okay 30 35 points probably knock that down to an expectation of 25 points. And I think you're pretty happy there. Justin, yeah. anybody else you want to throw out here as potential names? Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I agree with what you just said. Yeah. 25, 27 points this week from Caleb. I'd be happy. Obviously you hope for more, but that'd be kind of the expectation. Uh, fully agree. Also I'm on the same page with Bucky Irving, given what we've seen with USC's defense, although they did just fire their DC. And so, you know, change is happening who knows how much will be remedied within one week. Uh, still, Don't I think you count on it. <laughs> still, I think you bet on the opposing teams running back. Uh, I'm pretty high on Bucky Irving this week. I like him to have a big game. Uh, on USC side, yeah, Caleb Williams, if you start, you have him, you should start him. Wide receivers, it's always a guessing game, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to really pick out who is going to pop off each week. Uh and then running back, I believe is Marshawn Lloyd didn't play last week. He did not. Yeah, so that's something to monitor. You know, if he's gone, if he's unavailable again, maybe some value in Austin Jones sneaky play. But you know, it's tough to say. You know, Caleb Williams is going to vulture, you know, a rushing touchdown here and there. So it's hard, hard to really put a lot of faith in the USC running backs. 
Uh, and then I guess, I can't remember if you mentioned it, but I suppose obvious names would be Oregon's wide receivers, specifically Troy yep. uh, Belitnikov, they're calling him these days. He's having a great season. Even uh, the other, Tez Johnson, is, I believe, is, is yep. their other yeah, slot receiver uh, transfer from Troy. He's also pretty good. He has his game. He has his moments. And even Trayshawn Holden had a decent game. Uh, it was either last week or, or a week before. So they, they have three wide receivers that are, are quite involved. Obviously, Troy Franklin is the, the main guy. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you covered the names. I know we're taking a while on this section, so maybe I'll, I'll cut it short there. No, I think you pretty much hit all the names right there. And I, I meant to bring up Tej, uh, Tej Johnson. I brought him up on the waiver wire episode earlier this week. If you listen to that, I think this is a great matchup for him this week. If you need some help at wide receiver, I wouldn't be surprised if he had himself a pretty good big game considering how, because he's a very explosive player and USC has given up a ton of explosive plays throughout the week or week, excuse me, the year, uh, a couple of other high scoring matchups I'll throw out here for those of you to, you know, just kind of look into if you need to, if you want to try to take advantage of some high scoring games, App State versus Georgia State is a 60 and a half point over under. Temple versus USF, 66 and a half there. Texas Tech versus Kansas, 61 and a half over under there. Oklahoma State versus UCF, that's 64 and a half as the over under. And then Texas State versus Coastal Carolina, 60 and a half over under. Every single one of those games I just mentioned has a spread under a touchdown. So both teams in all those matchups are expected to put up some points this weekend. Those could be the ones that decide fantasy matchups this weekend. So make sure you take a look at your bench and see if there's anybody there you want to take advantage of. All right, Justin. Let's get on over to our sit and starts here. Let me go ahead and throw up our icons for the week. Uh, it's good to see that that blue and pink combo up there once again. This one, this first question, as always, or not as always, excuse me, as always, we got two quarterbacks, two running backs, two wide receiver, two flex, and one tight end question we'll go through here today. First quarterback question comes to us from Mr. M.D. B on Twitter, he is asking us to start one quarterback between Cameron Ward going up against Cal this weekend, or we can go with Darren Granger, the quarterback out of Georgia State going up against App State, or we can go with Preston Stone, the quarterback at SMU going up against North Texas. I'll start with Preston Stone, mostly due to the fact that he is um, or was knocked out of the game late last week. There's been no indication in terms of what his status will be this upcoming week they're hopeful that he is going to play but because of that and also north texas having the 36 um defense against the pass now granted they're atrocious against the run so we'll see what kind of happens there but just because of the injury and everything like that i think i'm going to avoid stone for the most part or actually no just not for the most part i'm just going to avoid stone and then that leaves Cameron Ward versus Darren Granger. And if you look at just matchups, Ward, it's looking beautiful, man. Cal, they're 127th versus the pass. You're sitting there being like, oh my God, this is a Ben Arbuckle system. Like he's been, like that, that, that's an incredible matchup right there. Well, if you own Cameron Ward, you know exactly how disappointing he and that offense have been recently. And you might be saying like, oh, maybe they had some tough matchups. Nope. Stanford. Last week, their opponent, dead freaking last in the country versus the pass. And you know what the stat line he put up was? 24 for 40, or yeah, 24 of 40 for 241 yards and a touchdown. That offense scored 10 points versus the worst passing defense in the country. Cameron Ward is sitting on my bench until he can prove it to me again that that offense can get rolling. 
Until then, I'll ride with Darren Granger. Yes, App State's 35th versus the pass. That's a little propped up by some rough quarterbacks they've played over the over the year. Like I took a look. Only three quarterbacks that App State has played this year are in the top 50 in passing yards, and only one is in the top 40. So, th- again, that, that passing yardage is definitely propped up by the quarterbacks they've played. And they're 125th versus the rush, which if you have Darren Granger, you know exactly how great that is for you. So I'll ride with Granger and sit Ward, sit Stone. Justin, what are you thinking, man? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, Stone didn't leave last week's game. I think this would be a slam dunk because uh, he has a good matchup. He's obviously, I think he's one of, you know, of the three, I think he's been sort of the better player. Uh, Cameron Ward and, and that offense in general has not been good lately, as you mentioned, which sort of, you know, it doesn't really give you a lot of confidence if you had to start him this week. You know, on the surface, as you kind of mentioned, it actually looks really good. Uh, Cal has been in a lot of shootouts this year. So you can kind of reason it, you know, like, you know, eventually these guys have to get back on track, right? I mean, you know, Lincoln Victor's back. They've got all their, you know, all the weapons in their arsenal there. Um, and then, you know, Darren Granger's kind of been up and down a little bit this season, but, you know, it has he hasn't been too volatile. Uh, and he has a lot of rushing upside, which is kind of his main thing. You know, matchup isn't as great. For me, it's kind of a coin. That probably sounds weird because, you know, we just trashed on Cameron Ward. But it's like, I feel like at some point it has to bounce back. Um, but if I had to choose a gun to my, like, if, 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 if this was me, uh, I probably would also choose Darren Granger, as boring of an answer as that is. Uh, and as much as I would like to be the contrarian, and find a way to justify starting Cameron Ward. Like I said, it is kind of close to me, but I mean, just being honest, yeah, I think I think I would go Granger just given Ward. I don't know what exactly is going on there. Maybe he's dealing with a hidden injury or something. Something's off, um, or at least it has been off. So, but you would expect at some point, right, that they're going to get back on track, given what they showed early in the season. Maybe that's this week. So that would be in the back of my mind. But if you want a safe play, I think you go Granger. No, I think it's totally fair. And like, you're right. It's like, they got to get back on, back on at some point, but we've been waiting for that for four weeks. Like one, one bad offensive performance. It happens to every team Two, you get a little bit worried. Three is a trend Four, All right. There's a problem here. And we got to, we got to wait until they get it figured out. Yeah. And this is really not the week that you want to be taking chances. Nope. Right? Like, I think it's a great call. Seems. Yeah. So go with what you know. All right. We'll go ahead and put the icons back there. And uh, move on to our second question here. This one comes to us from Mr. Aaron Wilcox. He is asking us between three quarterbacks here. To, he's asking us to start two here. We got KJ Jefferson versus Auburn. We can go with Talia Tagovailoa, the quarterback out of Maryland, going up against Nebraska. Or we have Brady Cook, the quarterback out of Missouri, going up against Tennessee. Justin, throwing it over to you first, man. Who are you going with? Yeah. Well, now that the cloud of Dan Enos has been banished from the Arkansas program, we saw what KJ Jefferson can do. He showed sort of his 2022 form actually last weekend, scored 31 fantasy points in sort of your default formats. Uh, the matchup against Auburn doesn't scare me, although you know Auburn Tech you know typically has a pretty uh, pretty tough sort of demeanor of a team. I'm sure they'll show up ready to go. It's an SEC matchup, that's usually how it goes. But you know Jefferson looked back to his old form last week, um, which encourages me. Now that, you know, Enos is gone, maybe they've 
figured something out or at least gotten rid of whatever the hindrance was. Uh, and then the other two, you know, we talked about Brady Cook earlier. I like Brady Cook this season in general, and I like him in this matchup. Don't really see any reason why I wouldn't. I mean, Tennessee, as you mentioned, has, you know, at least statistically, uh, defense is not so bad. Uh, I'm sure those numbers were helped from last week. I was actually starting their defense in one of my leagues. They scored, I believe, three defensive touchdowns. It was like over 30 points from the DST slot, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure they've sort of sharpened their teeth on some lesser opponents, although, you know, they've also played SEC opponents. So, you know, th those defensive stats probably are, are somewhat indicative of their actual strength. Uh, but mm -hmm. even so, that doesn't scare me enough to be like, well, I'm off of Cook. Uh, I like that, you know, Cook lately has actually been used as a rusher a little bit more too. Early on in the season, he wasn't. Lately, he seems to, you, you know, using his legs a little bit more. I don't know if that's by design or, or what, but it's a good sign. Uh, Talk of Iloa has been up and down this season, but he's not a bad option either. Uh, I just don't really, you know, he doesn't really jump out at me. I think Nebraska is kind of a, a sneaky, stingy defense also. And so, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go with Jefferson and Cook. We're picking two of the three. Uh, but, you know, Talk of Iloa is not a terrible. If you had to, I wouldn't be too upset about starting him. I hate to be boring here, but I'm going to agree with you uh, in terms of who I'm going to start here. And yeah, I'm going to go Jefferson. I'm going to go Cook here. I'm a little worried about trusting Jefferson because as much as we might want to throw the narrative out there of like, oh, Danny, the, the veneer of Dan Enos is gone and like he's, he's free and everything like that. He's had 28, 31 fantasy point games this year already. Like I was shocked when I looked and saw that he's somehow QB 45 on the year, given how people have talked about him this year. I thought he was like down in the dumps, like complete miss on him this year, just atrocious. No, he's been more of like a best ball option than he was last year. Now, was last week actually indicative of Dan Enos's um, or of him being free from Dan Enos? Remains to be seen. One thing that you kind of pointed out though is that there was a little bit of return to form in terms of what his 2020 um, version of him looked like. And now, what do I mean by that? Well. Under Dan Enos, they tried to make KJ Jefferson a passing quarterback, like a pocket passer. They were not designing runs for him. It was a super, super weird choice. And guess what they do last week after Dan Enos is gone? They let him run the freaking ball. He had a season-high rushing yardage total of 92 yards, got himself a touchdown there. Same number of carries that he supposedly has had over the last couple of weeks. It's just now they're designed runs. Now they're fully incorporating him in rather than all those carries be him running for his life behind that porous offensive line there. So I'm hopeful that's indicative moving forward. It's why I'm going to start him here. Auburn's not exactly the toughest defense in the world. They're 40 versus the pass, but 88 versus the rush. If they're truly letting Jefferson run, I think that's a pretty good matchup right there. Brady Cook's actually in a very similar vein. Obviously he had himself a really nice start to the year. Passing numbers were great. He's kind of been on a cold streak recently. Like, he hasn't really hit 300 yards in, I believe, it's like three or four games. So, hopefully, kind of get back to that. Give him a shootout with Tennessee. That should help there. Um, their team total is 30. And then, as you kind of pointed out, Justin, recently, like, I, I mentioned this when we first talked about Cook earlier this year, that he ran the ball a ton last year. And they weren't doing that to start the year. And I'm like, okay, if he continues these passing numbers and he can unlock his legs a little bit... We got a massive potential fantasy guy here. 
And over the last three weeks, his passing numbers haven't been as great, but he's definitely running the ball quite a bit more. In fact, almost double what he was doing before. And, you know, 39-plus rushing yards in all three games, touchdown in two of them. It's pretty much all you can ask there. So I'm willing to bet him against Tennessee. And then Maryland, or Maryland, Talia, I don't... It doesn't feel real that he is a top 24 quarterback on the year. He's just been very consistent. I think he scored like 18-plus fantasy points of really every single game. That's kind of why he's up there. There's no real bad games for him. But at the same time, like you said, Nebraska's kind of sneaky good. They're fourth against the rush in the country, which I didn't believe that when I first saw, but I guess it's real. And then Maryland also has the lowest team total out of this bunch, so go ahead and sit, Talia. I'm rambling. Let's move on to the next question here. And let's go to... Oh, wait, you know what, Justin? You failed your job. You failed your job. Well, what does the model say? The model the model, has this very close between all three of them. It pretty much has all these guys at 20 points. It actually has Talia as the highest at 20.89, with Brady Cook at 20.53, and then Cage Jefferson at 19.68. And here's the thing. All three of those guys, I think it's very believable, could finish with 20 points. But I... But I also think that Cook and Jefferson have the opportunity to hit 30, while I think Talia doesn't really have that. Yeah, the, the upside for those two is, is a lot higher. And it is sort of the funny part of these start sets is like, yeah, we do all this analysis in the end, they might all finish with like 25 points. But at least with like Jefferson and Cook, you can sort of see, oh, they might get over 30 plus if things bounce the right way. Alrighty, let's go and start with some of these running back questions here. This one comes to us from Mr. Basketball. That's that's just his name on Twitter. I, I I have no other indication on what his actual name could be, so he is Mr. Basketball. He is asking us between three running backs here, Jonah Coleman, running back out of Arizona, or Kai Robichaud, the running back out of Boston College, going up against Virginia Tech this week, or we can go with Emmanuel Michelle, the running back out of Air Force, going up against Hawaii this week. Jonah Coleman. He has that Colorado matchup. We all know how beautiful that Colorado defense has been for us this year. They're 93rd versus the rush. But there's some kind of things, some, some things kind of holding back Jonah Coleman here. One, touches aren't great. Over the last three games, 11 touches, 11 touches, 17 touches. Now, 17 touches, you're sitting there thinking, okay, maybe he's going to get more carries moving forward. And as if you look at his game total, or if, if you look at his games, he has been averaging per carry more and more as the season has gone along. So he is getting better for the most part throughout the season. Maybe that does encourage the coaching staff to kind of hand the ball off to him a little bit more there. That's a lot of ifs, though. And the other if here is, can he find the end zone a little bit more? All three of the touchdowns that Jonah Coleman has this year came in a single game. Do they start relying on him near the goal line just a little bit more? That's what you're going to need if you're going to want to have him go against his Colorado defense. Because... Coleman is not a super explosive player. You need him to have goal line carries. With this Colorado defense being that bad, how many goal line carries are we actually going to expect uh, Arizona to get for Coleman when they're probably scoring from 20-plus yards out? So I'm a little bit off Coleman there. The other two are a little bit more interesting. Kai Robichaud is probably who I might go with in this game if I knew that he was healthy. Again, he got banged up, knocked out of the game last week. He's going up against Virginia Tech, who's 84th versus the Rush. He's had 24 touches plus in each of his last three games. Garwo, the partner in crime there at running back, is done for the year. He at C is an ending 
injury injury so there's a lot to like there with Robichaud, but man, that nagging injury, it's kind of hard for me to justify. When I have Emmanuel Mitchell sitting over here, and he had a terrible game last week. Don't get me wrong. The entire Air Force had a meltdown that I haven't seen since the days of Chernobyl, all right? Like, it was like, I think they had like, what, five, six turnovers on the day? I started both Larrier and Michelle in a league, one in the super flex spot, one in the, or one in a, both of them in a flex spot thinking like okay they're going to they're going to run it up on army they're going to they're going to score some touchdowns nope instead of instead of six touchdowns i got six turnovers between the two of them it was awful anyway that's not indicative of his performance the last couple of weeks he's had 20 plus touches in three out of the last four games he's had a lack of touchdowns recently he had eight in three game in a three game stretch and then now he's had one in the last four games that has to change and I'm certainly hopeful that that will happen against a, a Hawaii rushing defense that's 107th versus the rush. Because of his health, I think I'm going to roll with Emmanuel Mitchell here. If we get better news down the line, I might switch this over to Kai Robichaux. But for now, I'll go with the healthy guy with 20-plus touches in three of his last four games against a porous Hawaii defense. Justin, who are you going with, man? Yeah, it's... um. Again, another interesting question. I mean, uh, you know, with Michelle, he's been kind of up and down. Like, his, his touch volume was pretty consistent prior to the last weekend, but his production was sort of up and down, as you alluded to. And that, you know, I guess it's sort of a lack of touchdowns. I'm not really sure. I mean, those two games where he scored less than, like, eight points, it was, like, Navy and Wyoming, uh, which you can kind of justify probably stingy defenses, at least Wyoming typically is. I, I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but I assume maybe that might be the case. At least against Hawaii, you know, well, Hawaii is pretty poor rushing defense. So maybe this game is the catalyst for him to get back on track. He does see a lot of touches. But sort of his up and down lately has kind of got me a little bit worried about him. Um, Kai Robichaud, yeah, the problem is he, had, he didn't finish the game last week, so we don't really know what his status is. I saw something today that they said they're hopeful that he's going to play. This weekend, I'm not really sure. Uh, even if he plays, I mean, is he 100%? So it's always difficult when a player is banged up. There's not a lot of info. This is a yeah. crucial week. I don't know if I want to even play that game. So with him, I think I'm just going to discard him immediately. Uh, then the other two, I sort of touched on them. Uh, Michelle, I actually like Coleman this week. Not, I don't, I don't feel great about him, but I mean, I, I feel good about him. Uh, Michael Wiley returned last week, but Coleman still had seven, like still led the backfield with 17 carries. You're right that his touch volume has been up and down. One of those games where he saw only 11 carries, uh, it was a total blowout. I believe he still had a pretty productive outing. It's just that they scored a lot and they didn't really need him. Uh, but they have been in some close games since, or at least you know the week prior to last, they were in a close game. And he still only saw 11 carries uh, before this past weekend, seeing 17. But I'm just going to bet on the fact that Coleman will be able to like break off maybe you know a touchdown or two, even if he's not seeing you know all of the touches. Maybe Wiley starts to sneak back in a little bit. Uh, and the thing about Coleman too is he catches passes. So Good you know however, however you want it really against Colorado and, and their defense is terrible. Uh, Coleman you know can be used as a weapon for Arizona. You're right though, and that is one of the concerns with their running backs. It's Arizona does throw a lot of touchdowns too. They have good wide receivers. Uh, when they're in the red zone, they do throw it to McMillan. They throw it to, to Cowing. So these guys kind of, uh, vulture is probably not the right word, but you know, a lot of the touchdowns, even when they are close, do tend to also go to, through the wide receivers. 
But, you know, I think if Coleman, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended this game with like 11 or 12 total touches, but still had like a touchdown and near 100 yards, just because the defense really is really bad. I wouldn't put it past him to break off long run, even even if he's not typically a very explosive runner, you know, just due to the defense. Uh, but Michelle is compelling, uh, you know, earlier in, in the week, you know, I felt a little less, I don't know, I guess bullish on him. The more I've sort of thought about it, you know, I can see a path for why he'd be a good play this week. I mean, generally he's a consistent touch guy and that's a bad run defense. So you can kind of justify it. Uh, I feel like I'd be sort of conflicting with what I wrote earlier this weekend though, where I sort of put Michelle on blast. So I can't choose him as a starter just by principle, but I will say on record here, uh, I've kind of come around on him. If you have him and you were worried about starting him, probably he's not that big of a concern. Uh, despite what I wrote earlier, I think if you, you know, if you're in a position that you have to start him, I wouldn't be that, that worried about it. All righty. Let's go ahead and move our icons back and go on to our second running back question here. This one comes to us from the rebel way. He is asking us between Jalen white, the running back out of Georgia Southern going up against Marshall this week, or we can go with Logan Diggs, the running back out of LSU going up against Florida. Or we can go with Jaden Ott, the running back out of California, going up against Washington State this week. Justin, your turn to go first. Which one of these running backs are you going to start? Yes, sir. Um, okay, I like Jaden Ott this week. Uh, I didn't like him preseason, and I, I voiced as much through my articles on Volume Pigs. Uh, he's one that I've gone wrong, though. Um, he's actually been pretty steady this season throughout the season, uh, both in terms of touch volume and production. You know, he's not um, he's not great, but he, he is good. And I think their backup running back at Fonzie still is sort of dealing with something that's lingering. And this is a good matchup. So, you know, I don't really see too, too much to dislike with Ott this week. Regarding the other two, uh, I, you know, Logan Diggs is one. So I, I published an article earlier this week about just sort of my rankings of running backs this week. And I, I just completely forgot about Logan Diggs. He's kind of been quiet the past couple of weeks. And I just completely slipped my mind. One of my subscribers though today asked me about him directly. And I said, oh yeah, uh, let me look into him. And basically the last two weeks, you know, his touches have dropped precipitously, but there's kind of a reason for that. So against Army, they were in a blowout. They didn't really need him. He still, I think he still scored a touchdown that game, but understandably they didn't really like give him 20 carries. They didn't need to. Then last week they played Alabama. Alabama is very good against the run, very strong front seven. So you can understand, and that was just a back and forth shootout. You can understand why they didn't really just hammer it through him. Uh, but if you look prior to that, you know, he's had a nice streak of sort of three weeks there where you're seeing good touches. And this feels like a game where LSU probably wants to get back to the run especially, you know, we don't really know what the status of Jaden Daniels is. And so we're not really sure how explosive pass attack will be. They might want to lean more on the run in this game, although Florida has a pretty decent front seven, uh, but not enough really to scare me too much. Uh, and then Jalen White, he's been great this season too. Uh, he was good last year. He's sort of picked up where, where he left off this year. You know, generally he's good through the air also. He gets a lot of targets. I don't like their matchup as much. You know, Marshall typically pretty strong on defense, although they've been sputtering a little bit just as a team the last couple of weeks. Uh, they do sort of throw interceptions, their quarterback also. So there could be some short fields to work with in this one on both sides. Davis Brent also does the same thing. Uh, that's not really relevant, I guess, for this discussion. But 
Jalen White, I don't really like his matchup out of the three. So I'm going to discard him. And then of the two, we're starting one, right? You're starting one. Okay, I'm going to go with Jaden Ott because he's been the one who, of between him and Diggs, has been seeing sort of more consistent volume for a longer period of time throughout the season. He's had some really good games. He's got a good matchup. Uh, not a lot to dislike from Ott this week. So you brought up a lot of the points I was going to bring up about Diggs, where, again, like you can look at his last two weeks and sit there and be like, oh, He's gone, he's gone way off the rails. Like, I'd never start this guy. Again, there's situations behind that. Behind that, Again, context is key with everything in college fantasy. And I do think it is an important point to bring up that if Garrett Nussmeyer starts this weekend, like, he is a statue. He is the complete opposite of Daniel, uh, Jane Daniels there. And so they're going to have to rely on Diggs if they want to establish a run game there. So I don't think Diggs is a bad play. He's still third place here because, again, Against Florida, Florida technically out of the three opponents here is the worst matchup in terms of rushing defense. So I will go ahead and sit Logan Diggs there. This was much harder for me between Jalen White and Jaden Ott. Jaden Ott's going up against Washington State. They're 82nd versus the rush, so a solid matchup there. His partner in crime, Ifanze, is now considered week to week. So if Ifanze is out this weekend, that opens up even more opportunity for Ott. And pretty much against even competition, Ott's a guaranteed 20 touches every single week. Now, here's the other side of the year we got. We got Jalen White going up against Marshall. Marshall, for as stingy as the defense as we kind of typically think of Marshall and as and everything, they're 117th versus the rush this year. They're a bottom 20 rush defense. Like, they have been giving up a ton, a ton. And White, according to the coaching staff, and we hear it on the broadcast every week when you watch Georgia Southern game, like, the staff's goal every week is 25 touches per week, no matter what. Whether it's receptions, whether it is running the ball and everything like that, White it will be involved every single week, no matter how the match is going there. And so he's been super consistent. Again, over 100 yards in each of his last three games. It's hard for me to move away from consistency like that. And when he has a really good matchup this upcoming weekend where both teams are expected to put up some points here, I'm going to roll with White. Ott's a fantastic play as well. Totally understand why it's hard to decide between those two right there. I'm personally going to rely on the guy who's been just a little bit more consistent in White recently. So, bring these back. Next question. Up to the wide receivers. Oh, Justin once again failing his job where he forgot to ask me about the model. And so let me run through these real quick again for basketball's question. Jonah Coleman at 15.56, Kai Robichaux at 17.07, and Emmanuel Mitchell at 14.76. He actually likes Emmanuel the least amount, so screw me, I guess. But actually likes Kai Robichaux the best. And I think we both would agree that if Robichaux, we knew that he was healthy, probably would be the best there out of those options. Yep. And then... For the Rebel Ways question there between Jalen White, it has White at 20.91 fantasy points, so it really likes him there. It has Diggs at 11.78, but once again, the model is not really taking into the context there of what's going on the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to kind of throw that one out. And then Jaden Ott has at 20.67. It pretty much agrees with both Justin and I that either Ott or White are great options this week. Pick your favorite. All right. Wide receiver questions. This one comes to us from Mr. Jarfaka, which um, I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. 
Um, start two wide receivers here, half point PPR. He's asking us between Brian Thomas, the wide receiver out of LSU going up against Florida this week, or we can go with Brendan Presley, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma State going up against UCF, or we can go with uh, Elik Iomanor, the wide receiver out of Stanford going up against Oregon State. This one is really tough for me because all three of these guys I have pros and cons for. Maybe I can decide who I go with as I kind of explain it here. We'll start with Brian Thomas. Florida's 52nd versus the pass, a very average there. Thomas has been phenomenal this year. He's top 12 wide receiver on the year. He has He's been heavily reliant on explosive plays. He's had six or less targets in each of his last three games. It's just he sees those epic bombs that come. He's been scoring a ton of touchdowns. That concerns me moving forward. Does that touchdown regression come back to bite him? Maybe, maybe not. Again, LSU's offense has just been good enough to where he probably can find the end zone on most weeks there. But as you've seen, if you have Brian Thomas, there's been some very big bust weeks there. So clearly, it's hard to sit a top 12 wide receiver on the year, but there's a lot of reason to kind of be a little bit worried there. Brennan Presley, he's like the opposite of Thomas. Tons of targets, nine plus targets in three out of his last four games. Dude does not get the production. It is mostly short passes, hasn't hit over 100 yards in any of his last four games there. UCF, they're going up against UCF this week, who is atrocious against the run. They're bottom five against the run, but they're pretty good against the pass. They're 39th on the year. Again, I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to find 30 points in this game. Brandon Presley scored a touchdown in three out of the last four games there, so I think they're looking for reasons to get him into the end zone, but at the same time, like, he has the volume, lack of production, and then you got Eli Iomanor on one of the offenses that I cannot figure out if I trust or not. They're going up against Oregon State, who's been pretty stingy at times, although they are 80th versus the pass, so there is some ability for him to take advantage of there. He's nine-plus targets in each of his last four games. Uh, yeah, none, none of that did anything to help convince me here. I kind of hate that I have to go first on this one. I should have made you go first on this one, Justin. Um, You know what? I think I've convinced myself to start Io Minor, even though I don't fully trust the Stanford offense because they had themselves a good matchup against Wazoo last week, and they were only able to put up seven points. But if you look at the weeks before that, they did kind of find something, and Io Minor is kind of the guy that has been able to take advantage of that the most. So I'll start him. And because I start him as kind of the volume guy in the best matchup, sorry, I, I brain fart there for a second. I think that's a good pair to put up with Brian Thomas, who I can just hope Gary Nussmeyer comes in continues the passing ability that this LSU offense has been giving them the last couple of, or really this entire year. We saw that, again, in the game against Georgia last year in the SEC Championship, Brian Thomas was absolutely a favorite target of Nussmeyer there. So I think I'll rely on him once again here. And I'll sit Brennan Presley, given the fact that he has probably the worst matchup when it comes to the passing defense and also just doesn't have the production you typically want to see. Justin, that's a long-witted answer or long-winded way of me saying, like, I think you could go anyway with these three, and it's completely understandable. So, what understandable combination do you have here? 
Yeah, I was going to say, can we just default to what the model says? I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty close one, right? Uh, one question, is this PPR? This is half point PPR. Yeah, I mean, that kind of adds another dynamic. I mean, if it's full PPR, generally, you know, I, I like slot receivers more sort of than the boundary guys. The boundary guys are more boomer bust. You know, Brian Thomas is sort of a classic example of that. It's like when he has an explosive play in that game, he has a good game. Because uh, usually it's like one play gives them 15 points, right? Yeah. Like 60 touchdown plus a half point or whatever. Uh, but it does kind of make him more of a boomer bust prospect. And the thing is, we have a little bit of uncertainty at the quarterback position this week with LSU. But you make a good point that we actually have sort of a prior president to look back at, which was the SEC championship game last year when Nussmeyer was, uh, I guess, brought in later in the game. And he showed like he had a pretty good rapport with Brian Thomas. So that kind of quells uh, some of the concerns regarding there. Like regardless if Daniels doesn't play and Nussmeyer plays, should still be okay. Uh, you know, Presley, love the volume he gets. And, and again, like I said, I, I typically like slot receivers the most just because safe completions, safe volume, especially with the PPR league. Um, you know, and I think the matchup, although UCF has a, I guess, statistically good rank against the pass, the matchup itself doesn't really scare me. I think Oklahoma State should be able to score. It's just a matter of like, okay, who scores? Well, you know, probably Ollie Gordon's going to score. That seems like a safe bet. Uh, but then after that, it's hard to tell. And But Presley isn't necessarily touchdown dependent. Like he's had good games where it's literally just off volume, right? So you might have a lot of catches and some yards. Uh, and if this was a full PPR league, probably that would be a little bit more potent. But half PPR is still good. Uh, Ayo Maynard, he was injured, right? Like a, like a couple of weeks ago. He had like a shoulder injury late in the yes. game. And he was a little uncertain if he's going to play this week. Obviously, he did. I'm not sure if he's 100%. He's not a decent game. Uh, presumably, you know, he'll get better as time goes on. So maybe this week he's even healthier, gets back to normal. Uh, the matchup itself, I, I, to be honest, I don't know off the top what Oregon State's like pass defense numbers are. Uh, it doesn't feel like a game that you should be that afraid. Uh, if you had to start AMAR. But this offense, Stanford offense, is very hard to get a read on in terms of what they are. But I would I will say AMAR, since that big breakout game against Colorado, has been pretty good. Like oh, yeah. in terms of it, it's 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 actually stuck. Like he didn't just have a big game and then fall off. He had that big game in terms of targets and he's been continually seeing like a strong level of targets each game. Uh, he hasn't been, you know, the same like highly productive every game, but he hasn't been terrible. I mean, I think he had like lows of nine points or something like that mm -hmm. uh, at least in full PBR, i guess in half PBR, it might have been a little little lower but for me so we were starting to you know i think brian thomas i'm going to start we're, we're going to go it's playoff week um you know he's had a couple of duds and that would concern me but you know you, you got to pick with the options that you have of the other two it's actually a little closer for me um because again i don't think presley's really touchdown dependent so even if he doesn't score this game you still have a good game just based on volume alone. Ayo Maynard is a little bit more like Thomas because um, he's more of a boundary guy, but he still sees pretty good target volume also. Um, it's tough. For me, these last two could go either way. I think I'm going to go with Presley just to switch it up. Yep. Uh, it's a coin flip for me. and I, I don't just say that just to say it, just to, <laughs> just as a contrary. And it's, it's you know, it's 50-50 for me. I think I'm going to go Presley. Like I said, my my default usually is to try to go with slot receivers as much as possible. I just like that, you know, easy completions, et cetera. So that's who I'm rolling with.
Man, we, we could have shortened that whole question by a good five minutes if we did just default to the model because the model agrees with you, Justin. Um, it has Brennan Presley at 18.71 fantasy points. Now, granted, that is with full PPR, so that probably changes things a little bit there. But it has Brian Thomas at 15.31, and it has Io Minor down at the bottom at 14.26 there. So I sat the guy that the model says is going to have the best game. So we'll see how that goes for me. Oops, wrong. Here we go. All right, next wide receiver question. This one we'll throw to Justin first, but we are deciding between Malik Washington, the wide receiver out of Virginia, going up against Louisville this week, or Smoke Harris, the wide receiver out of Louisiana Tech, going up against Sam Houston, or Mr. Ricky White, the wide receiver out of UNLV, going up against Wyoming. Justin, you're up first, sir. Which one of these wide receivers will you be starting? And thank you, Austin Smith, for the question, if I have not mentioned your name already. Yeah, good question. Uh, I presume Louisville's pass defense must be pretty good, hence why this is the question, or these are the options that are... They are 42nd versus the pass. Yeah, so they're middle of the pack, maybe above average. Uh, Like, I asked that question just because in terms of, like, these three names, Malik Washington clearly is, like, the best player has been this season he's been very consistent he gets a lot of volume is this a ppr league um i'd have to check but i'm fairly certain it is not okay so i i can see maybe how that balances it a little bit but even still i believe washington still sort of clear in a way maybe the best player of these three in terms of season long uh output so uh i, I feel good about washington even though you know that louisville matchup you know not ideal uh, Smoke Harris, he's kind of been up and down, if, if I recall correctly. He had a huge opener to, to start the season, uh, but he's kind of been a little bit volatile in terms of his production. Uh, and Sam Houston, I don't know really what happened last week, but t- 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 typically they have pretty good defense. They play pretty good defense. That was sort of their MO at the start of the season. They couldn't score, but their defense was pretty good. Uh, now they seem to be able to move the ball pretty well. Their defense, I don't know what happened. So they... <laughs> Hard to figure out what, what's going on down there. If they've just swapped different players into the uniforms, I don't know. But uh, Smoke Harris, he's another one where he's kind of like a slot receiver, gets a lot of volume. But this is not a PBR league. So it's a little bit more dependent on who scores touchdowns. Uh, and with that in mind, the third option here, my boy Ricky White, <laughs> who, you know, in the offseason, I actually had an article about Ricky White, and I suggested that there was a path here that he could finish the season as wide receiver one in CFF. Uh, and obviously it was, it's a long shot article, but he's actually not that far in PPR leagues, I guess. Uh, last I checked, he's averaging like 19 points per game in full PPR leagues. Wide receiver one right now, uh, Jonte Wester, at least again in PPR leagues, is at like 27 points. So he's not far off. But the thing about White is he tends to score lots of touchdowns. When he's having a big game, it's usually due to the fact that he scored twice. Uh, he's kind of like a boundary receiver, breaks off explosive plays. Uh, so he's kind of boomer bust from that standpoint, but you know, in a league like this, where again it's not based on points per reception, a little bit more weighted towards who scores touchdowns, that is kind of uh, you know something to keep in mind. So refresh my memory here, Jared. How many are we starting of these? We're starting three? one. Only one. Oh, Only okay. one. I, I, otherwise, it'd be a clear, clear two to start. Yeah, I suppose so. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna go with Malik Washington. That's that's chalk. I know, and that's boring. I know, 
but he's the best player of the three. And it just it would be hard to stomach not playing him this week. I assume this is a big week for you, Austin. Probably playoff week or like make a break week to get in the playoffs. Uh, Washington has probably been one of your best players throughout the entire season. You know, might as well continue riding him here. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't work out. But Washington's been money all season. And, you know, I think that's who I'd roll with. Although I, I do like the upside of White. And Wyoming does have pretty good defense, though. Um, Austin, send me your other options that you have in your current lineup for me, please. Cause I think there's, there's probably a way we can fit both Ricky White and Malik Washington in there. Unless you have like, I don't know, Marvin Harrison Jr. And like, uh, Colin Lacey or LeJonte Wester sitting in your starting lineup already, which could possibly happen again. I know you, you're a pretty good player. Anyway, Smoke Harris is a distant third. Uh, I think you barely touched on him. Sam Houston, their 32nd versus the pass, which I don't fully trust that, but it's just way too up and down with Smoke Harris. He can have a 20-point game, or he can have a three-target game. Like, it's just... In a playoff week, you want to go with consistency. We've got two hot hands here. Ricky White has been hot-handed recently. They're finally kind of figuring out, like, hey, let's just chuck it to our best receiver constantly. And over the last four weeks, 350-plus yard games three two touchdown games even in the game where he didn't score a touchdown like he was still putting up numbers that would get him a decent finish in ppr leagues there so i'm with you justin i kind of want to trust ricky white but malik washington's just been insane dude insane over the last what is this seven weeks over the last seven weeks what do you think the lowest yardage washington has had in the game Hmm, lowest yardage good question i don't know i assume he's gone under 100 yards at least once maybe uh i'll, I'll go with something in the 70s 97 oh, okay. 97 is the lowest number of yards he has had in a single game he has hit over 100 yards in six of the last seven games you can't ask for more consistency than that in the last three weeks he has had 15 plus targets in every single game now, he hasn't found the end zone, which kind of sucks, but I think that's, ba- that's more on Virginia's offense than anything else. But you have to think that they're going to be able to find the end zone with him eventually. Like, he's not going to have this dry spell forever here. So I'm with you, Justin. I'm going Malik Washington. It's hard not to start that guy. And then I'll sit both Smoke Harris and Ricky White here. But I'm serious, Austin. Like, talk to me. Let's figure out if there's a way we can get Ricky White into your lineup because, Next question here. Oh, wait, model, 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 model. Keep model. dropping the ball. What does the model say? Uh, model has Malik Washington at 17.17. It actually has Smoke Harris at 20.63, which I honestly don't know how. I, maybe maybe that, that's where the defenses are coming in a little bit, where it thinks that it could score, they can score on Sam Houston a little bit better. I don't know. But also, Smoke Harris has scored one touchdown in the last six yeah. games. So I'm not sure where the model's getting that 20 points for Smoke Harris there. And then Ricky White, it actually likes the best. It has him at 23.42. Now, granted, Ricky White has had three 30-plus games or 30-plus point games in PPR formats. So, you know, it's hard for it not to, not to elevate him there. All right, next question here. Going to the flex options, let's go to Mr. Goose's question here. Start one in a half PPR league here. 
He is asking, one, about our boy we were talking about earlier, Tej Johnson going up against USC. Uh, we also got Ishmael Mahdi, the running back out of Texas State, going up against Coastal Carolina. Or we can go with Noah Smith, the wide receiver out of Sam Houston, going up against Louisiana Tech. I'll start with my third place guy here, and that is Ishmael Mahdi. He's got the volume. I like it. But he's had no touchdowns the last three games. The touchdown regression was going to come at one point for him, and it has hit us like a ton of bricks. Now, granted, Coastal Carolina or uh, Texas State should be able to find plenty of points in this game, and I trust Mahdi will probably find the end zone at one point. But at the same time, I like the I like the options we have with the two receivers here for the most part. Tez Johnson is the perfect guy to throw in at a flex position. Kind of see what he can do. See if he can have that monster game like he did last week against Cal. Do it again versus USC. Kind of build on that momentum there. USC's 99th versus the pass. But I also kind of like Noah Smith. Noah Smith has been on a really, really good stretch ever since that offense really kind of turned things around. He's going up against LA Tech this week, who is 20th versus the pass. But I ask, does that matter for two reasons? One, Louisiana Tech is another one of these teams where they're supposedly really good against the pass, but they're awful against the rush. So how much is that because teams just decide to rush on them? And then the other part of it is that it doesn't matter because like freaking Noah Smith, the lowest fantasy points that he's gotten in a half PPR format over the last six games here, 16. He's hit over 20 in a half PPR format in three out of the last six games. He has seen 10-plus targets in five out of his last six games. It's He's also getting rushing touchdowns as well. So, like, it's hard for me not to go with Noah Smith here. I, I, I got to go with him. I like the upside of Tej Johnson. If you can find a way to kind of sneak him into your lineup, maybe. But it's playoff week. Start your studs. Noah Smith is a stud for fantasy football this or for college fantasy football this year. So, like, he would be a dude that would be in the top 12 wide receivers on the year if Sam Houston figured out how to throw to him earlier in the season. So I'm going to roll with him. Sit Mahdi, sit Johnson. Justin, who are you going with, man? Yeah, I'm just going to keep it simple here. Noah Smith. <laughs> Noah Smith, Noah Smith, Noah Smith. Uh, similar reasoning with Malik Washington from the previous question. Lately, Smith has just been so good, so consistent. Super high-volume guy, not just through the air, but they give him carries too. Uh, like I said, Sam Houston, very strange outfit. They've they've they started off the season one way with a very definitive identity, then completely switched overnight uh, in like week three or week four or something. I'm not mad at it. It's been good for CFF purposes. I have Noah Smith in the league this week. Uh, so yeah, fingers crossed that he has a big game against Louisiana Tech. Don't see why he wouldn't. Uh, and yeah, he's the best player of the three. So uh, that's who I'd roll with. All right. Like I said, short and sweet. We'll keep it rolling. Put the icons back. Uh, Model, before I forget. Model loves Tez Johnson this week. It has him at 23.74 fantasy points, which kind of surprises me. But again, that monster performance last week, how could you not love him after that performance? Um, It has Madi as the lowest at 17.44. So clearly it it thinks that he's going to find the end zone at some point during this game. So... uh, I, I, I kind of agree with that number right there. 17.44 feels very right for him. And then Noah Smith that has an 18.97. I kind of get that given the fact that Louisiana Tech's defense technically 
is good against the pass, so he probably scores a little bit lower than he normally would in a full PPR format there. But I'm still I'm still trusting my gut, or not? I'm I'm trusting my stud in Noah Smith. Next flex question. This one comes to us from at Awood Sports on Twitter. Start one player out of this bunch here, Justin, in a half PPR format. We got Rasheen Ali going up against Georgia Southern, or we can go with Quentin Cooley, the running back out of Liberty, going up against Old Dominion this week, or we can go with Jay Macklin, the wide receiver out of North Texas, who is going up against SMU. So, Justin. Who are you going with, man? Yeah, good question. We're starting one again, I assume. Starting one. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense for a flex position. So, Rasheen Ali, you know, started the year really, really, really strong. Uh, and then sort of picked up an injury. He must have. He must have picked up an injury at some point. He was a very late scratch randomly a few weeks ago on the Thursday night game. And then... Both games that he's had since he returned have not been great. I mean, he still gets, like, carries, but he hasn't really scored. And overall, the team just has not been good. Like, they, they've just been struggling, I think, on both sides of the ball. You you mentioned their their pass defense earlier, I think, and, or run defense, perhaps. So, yeah, overall, like, this is just not really, I guess, the same sort of Marshall program that we might have been accustomed to. And Rashid Ali, I just, I'm not sure if he's been right, you know, the past couple of weeks. But presumably, you know, I mean, they're playing him. Presumably, he's returning to full health at some point, uh, if not already there now. And this is a good matchup against Georgia Southern. Like, Georgia Southern's, you know, they, they score a lot of points. They move quickly. Uh, Marshall should be able to get a lot of opportunities as well. And, you know, Davis Brin, who's the quarterback at Georgia Southern, you know, he throws interceptions, you know, like he's getting paid to. I mean, you know, so, like, there should be a few short fields in this one. I would expect at least one where that might be able to get Ali kickstarted. Maybe he gets into the end zone. They love to give it to him. Anytime they get near the end zone, if they get into the twenties, thirties, it generally goes to Ali. So it's more a question like, can they move the ball in this game? I think they can. So I, I don't mind Ali this week. Quentin Cooley is a running back. I also wrote about earlier this week in sort of my running back rankings. Uh, and again, maybe I was a little hard on him at first. He had a great game last week. Old Dominion, at least according to Fantrax, has a good rush defense. I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know how much stock I'd put into that. The one thing, though, about Cooley is, you know, his quarterback steals rushing touchdowns. They have another guy now, his name's like Bedrock or Bed something, who's scoring rushing touchdowns randomly. I think he's a receiver, but they've been lining him up in the back. He's scoring, you know, touchdowns randomly. So he shares you know, the touchdown production with a few other players, which sort of destabilizes the situation a little bit, but his touch volume is generally pretty good. And, you know, like I said, there, you know, fan tracks tells me old dominions rush defense is, is stingy. I uh, don't know how much stock I really put into that, uh, but on the face of it, the matchup's not great. Uh, Jay Macklin, you know, he's touchdown dependent, but he keeps going touchdowns. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, you expect a regression, but at the same time, it continues to sort of score. That's a good offense, UNT's offense. You know, Chandler Rogers there, quarterback. Uh, he's been having, you know, a surprisingly good year. And this is a, a rivalry game. Typically, it's a pretty high-scoring game, SMU, North Texas. And we don't know what's going to happen with Preston Stone. So, you know, it might be the case North Texas, you know, pulls an upset here. Uh, SMU has a good defense, though. They have been really good on defense this year. Uh, and that's one thing that probably give me some some caution. 
So we're picking one and, you know, I'm going to go with old reliable, uh, Rasheen Ali. It, it's just hard for me to stomach. He's going to have a third dud week in a row. Uh, he's too good. The situation, you know, I think is too good in terms of, you know, the pedigree of, of that position at that program, what they've done typically, the amount of touches Rasheen Ali sees. Uh, I expect that he's going to get back on track this week. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to roll with Ali. I think Quentin Cooley, although I was hard on him earlier this week, probably would be my second guy up. Uh, but I'm, I'm going with with name brand value, I guess, here. Star, star power and Rasheen Ali. I want to go with Ali, but something's up with that Marshall offense. 15 combined points in the last two weeks for them. That is not the Marshall offense that we've been able to see the last couple of weeks. As you mentioned, Ali did pick up an injury at um, a certain point there. Definitely seems to have nicked him up a little bit. They're not giving, they're not letting him be the bell cow back that he typically was. Again, over the last two weeks, 12 rushing attempts, 13 rushing attempts, two receptions in each of those games. So you're talking about like 14, 15 touches compared to the damn near 30 that we've come to expect out of him. And I think... Part of it is the injury, and I think part of it is also like he's not as he's not as game script proof as he used to be, because it used to be that Marshall could stay within games even if they were behind by running the hell out of Ali the entire time. But now they got Cam Fancher, who's a little bit better of a quarterback than they've had in the past. They're able to pass it around a little bit more. They think that they can use him to get back into games, which kind of shuts down Ali a little bit. I am not starting Ali again until, again, I see a little bit more consistency. I see another 20-25 touch game from him, especially with my other option here is Quentin Cooley, who has seen 17-plus touches in five of his last, in all five of his last games, 20-plus in three of them. Old Dominion, I don't know where Fantrax is getting the, the top 10 rushing defense, there, because like the stats I have has Old Dominion as 66 versus the rush, a pretty average. And again, they're a horrendous versus the pass. So basically, you're talking about, you know, they typically get passed on, but you know, it's just a bad enough defense that if somebody wanted to run against them, they probably could. He's had 100 plus rushing yards in five out of his last six games, six out of his last eight. It's hard to find better consistency than the, that. Yes, you bring up a decent point that. Touchdowns can be taken away by Kate Onsalter. They can be taken away by Bedgood, who has been um, been a nuisance for Cooley a little bit here. But even so, Cooley's been getting his because this team just scores so freaking much versus Ali has the opposite problem where his team has had a lack of scoring opportunities for him recently. So I'm going to roll Cooley. I think that Liberty can hang 40 on Old Dominion and Cooley will be able to find some points out of that. In terms of Macklin, yes, he's Mr. Guaranteed Touchdown, which also, by the way, can we talk about how um, he was Mr. Guaranteed Touchdown until this past week? And can we talk about how North Texas and UTSA put up 66 points in their game and only two touchdowns in that game came from the quarterbacks? Do you know how mad I was last week when I started both Frank Harris and Chandler Rogers thinking I was going to get the ultimate shootout between those two? And I did get a shootout. It's just the running back stole every freaking touchdown. That was annoying. Anyway, rant over. Macklin. <laughs> this game is random. <laughs> Macklin's great. He's a top 12 wide receiver on the year. It's hard to sit him, but that, that SMU defense has been so legit over the last couple of weeks there. 
and he has nice volume, but in a half PPR format, I tend to lean a little bit towards running backs, especially when you use Justin's terminology, when they are a volume pig like Cooley has been. I got to lean that way. I'm going to go with Cooley and sit Macklin. And we'll go ahead and put those icons up just to give the visual. There we go. And now we'll put them back. Last question here, Justin. We'll try to get through this one pretty quickly because it is a tight end question. We have another tight end question finally this week. In fact, I think three of you asked tight end questions this week. So I think you realized last week that, you know, I can and will shut down the tight end debate. Anyway, speaking of tight end debate, this one comes to us from Michael Corey. Colson Loveland versus Penn State or Bryson Nesbitt versus Duke? I think I'm going to roll with Bryson Nesbitt, mostly because he's just kind of been on a hotter streak. I think Penn State's going to have a much lower scoring game. I I trust UNC's offense to overtake Duke's stingy defense than I do Michigan's offense to overtake Penn State's stingy defense. And when they do overtake Duke's stingy defense, I have to believe that Bryson Nesbitt will be a pretty decent part of that. So I think I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Go with Nesbitt. Justin, who are you going with out of these two? Yeah, well, a a few things. One, you forgot to bring up the model. I did! Uh, Real quick, last last question real quick. Rasheen Ali, 16.08 points. Model does not like him this week. Loves Cooley, 24.64 fantasy points for Cooley. And then Jay Macklin, the wide receiver out of North Texas, 17.51. So, again, Model clearly likes what Cooley's been doing recently, does not like what Rasheen Ali's been doing recently. Um, anyway, back to the tight end question. Colson Loveland, Bryson Nesbitt, who are you going with, Justin? Yeah, well, sorry. And another thing right before the tight end question, regarding the fan tracks ranks, I think they're just scoring that based on like how running backs have done against that defense in terms of points. Uh, There's obviously yeah. on you know, what teams they've played, et cetera. That's that's from what I recall. Anyways, without further ado, back to the tight end question here. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, tight end position in general this year, it's uh, it's been a tough position. It's been a tough year. Uh, but I'm with you. You know, Nesbitt, I had to double check that the other day. I was I'm playing against him this week, so I hope he doesn't have a great week. But <laughs> if I have to be objective about it. Uh, I was looking at the stats the other day. I was like, why is my opponent playing Nesbitt? Uh, and then I looked at his game log, and he's actually been really consistent for like five weeks in a row. At least he's been good for like five weeks in a row. So, you know, Loveland, he's always live for like, you know, he could have a touchdown or two. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and both of their matchups, I think, are good. Duke, uh, well, both are rivalry games. So, I mean, should, should be competitive games. Uh Probably I'm getting into the territory of over-analysis there. In terms of, you know, tight ends, there's not really much we can grasp to. It kind of comes down to, like, well, if one scores a touchdown, the other doesn't, that'll be it, basically, of who's had the better week. Uh, Nesbitt's just been more consistent. Why not roll with him? Uh, I assume, again, for this person who's asking, it's a a crucial week, so you kind of want to just go with the guy who's been been good. Uh, Although tight end, you know, you don't mind going for a boomer bust play because generally – they don't really score that many points anyways, but yeah, uh, I think I'd roll with Nesbitt on this one. Yeah, I have to agree. The model agrees as well. It has Nesbitt beating Loveland by about four points there. So all three agree, Michael. We all we would all just roll with Nesbitt there. Loveland's a great backup tight end if something were to happen in Nesbitt, though. With that, we have come to the end of our show. Thank you guys all for listening. Justin, do you want to 
um, tease anything that you're working on here towards the end of the season? Any articles coming out real quick? Um, no, I mean, not, not anything out of the usual. Uh, I've, I've now started to do sort of a weekly ranking. I'm going to do it for the running back position just because I think that's the most important position. Uh, and it's the easiest to kind of like do a comprehensive review of each week. Uh, this past week I talked about over 50 running backs, um, and ranked them and gave some analysis of sort of why I've ranked them that way. Um, and I, you know, of course I miss a few names, but if I miss one and you're a subscriber to volume pigs, you can just ask me directly and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. Um, I also just published something on campus can for the first time in a while. <laughs> uh, I haven't forgotten about the guys over there. It, it was just a small article about sleepers this week here wanting to you know get creative with a, a starter I, I can't imagine this is the week that you're trying to do that but maybe maybe it is and you just want to you know try you know try a deep shot or you're in a deeper league and you need a player that's not highly owned uh maybe check out that article uh besides that you know it's pretty much the usual from from my end again probably been watching this show if you're watching now for a while so you know i'm at volume pigs on twitter you can find my website at my twitter profile uh, and you'll see me on the show again next week. Looking forward to it, man. If you guys have not already, go ahead and leave a like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're on podcast, make sure you follow the show and leave a five-star review where you can. Make sure you guys check out the rest of the Campus Scanton Podcast Network for all the shows ranging on pretty much anything you can think of related to the college fantasy game between us doing CFF. There are people doing Campus Scanton, obviously. NFL Dynasty talk. We got betting. We got... Um, analysis of models, trying to predict games and stuff like that. It, we, literally everything. Regardless, we'll see you guys back here on Monday for another round of waiver wires. And hopefully the next time I talk to you all, you have nailed down your playoff spot and or you have moved on to the semifinals of your league. Until then, really appreciate you guys. And I'll be, I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week. See y'all.